The following is from East Delta Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at www.eastdeltabc.com. And thank you for the music and the prayer. If you would turn to Luke chapter 14. Uh, Luke chapter 14. Do you have your place at the table at home? Does everybody have your assigned place? And when someone comes over, what do they say? Yeah, is this my... Where am I supposed to sit? Does anybody sit here? We kind of we have our place at the table, don't we? Uh, what about when you go to a restaurant? Who, who, uh, who has a place they want to sit at the restaurant? <laughs> Pointing to your husband. Guys just won't set their backs to the door, do we? I mean, we want to be where we can see the room. We're the protectors, okay? We have to see what's coming at us where we can protect everything. So... Uh, Ladies, don't rush in there and sit down and put your husband's back to the door. You know he don't want to sit that way anyway. Uh, do what? No, you got to get in the front of the line. He who picks the checkup gets to choose the chair. That's what I always say. Uh, so that's a good. That's a good. Uh, that's a good rule. Amen, guys. We pick the checkup, then we we choose uh, we choose the chair. All right, growing up, did you have anything that mom said, you need to eat those, they're good for you, and you couldn't stand them? What were those? Liver? Tomatoes? Oh, Christopher, Barry, you failed as a parent. <laughs> Liver, uh, yeah. Light green peas? I love cabbage, love cabbage. <laughs> Brussels sprouts, aren't those good? Boy, you cook Brussels sprouts just right, you know. Uh, asparagus, isn't asparagus good? Uh, Trace came to our house when he was real little, and... Uh, this is two, two things that was kind of funny. Now, he's not here this morning, I'll think. But first off, he asked Denise who that other Jake was that lived with her. Because <laughs> I come home and put on sweats and a T-shirt, and he had never seen me in anything. But, uh, so uh, we were eating lunch, and uh, he said, I don't like that. And I said, oh, you're this mashed potatoes. You like mashed potatoes? And uh, I don't like them. I said, now you can't tell me your grandmother doesn't feed you mashed potatoes. I don't like mashed potatoes. Said, well, just try them. Well, he tried them. <laughs> he put them in there. <laughs> he gagged at the table for five minutes. I said, don't eat them, don't eat them, don't eat them. Who doesn't like mashed potatoes? My goodness. Does he eat mashed potatoes now? Still won't eat them, <laughs> but not mashed, okay. Well, sometimes growing up, as we grow and develop, we have to eat things that we may not love, but they're good for us, so mom and dad always wanted you to, to eat those things which were good for you. I don't know if I told you to turn to Luke chapter 14 or not, but this is where we're going to be this morning. And we're still talking about guess who's coming to dinner. We'll be about three more weeks on this same subject at least. And uh, we're, uh, we're going to look at something that happens here. If you're in Luke chapter 14, right off the bat, it says on one Sabbath, Jesus went to eat at the house of a prominent Pharisee. So we know right off the bat, he's gone, uh, he's been invited to a meal. He's gone to eat at this house and... Uh, 
You know, with that, as we get started and we're kind of following that theme, uh, God doesn't cause trouble and adversity uh, to come our way. He doesn't cause that, but often He uses that to refine some humility within us. And when trouble comes, some people, uh, they turn their faces towards heaven and become bitter, and others, they bow to their knees and become better. And and that's kind of what our our lesson is about this morning. And you've all probably seen Jeff Foxworthy's, you might be a redneck list, you've probably heard these or seen some of these, but you know you're a redneck, or you might be a redneck if directions to your house includes turn off the pavement, and we, we have that here, don't we? Go down and turn when the pavement ends, turn there. Uh, maybe you take your fishing pole to SeaWorld. Uh, this is a good one. You have flowers planted in a commode in your front yard. <laughs> We've, I've seen that even in this community, you know. Doesn't look that good in my opinion, you, but you may like that. Uh, your dad walks you to school because you're both in the same grade and... Uh, you don't have to uh, be from the country to laugh at those, but I also found this. You may be a country church, and, uh, you know, if you, they're kind of similar to those things. You know you're a country church if uh, the church not, votes not to buy a chandelier because nobody knows how to play it. <laughs> so um, if you don't get that, you are definitely a country person in a country church. Uh, the opening day of deer season is a church holiday. Uh, a member requests to be buried in his four-wheel drive trucks because there ain't never been a hole created it can't get out of. Uh, folks think the rapture is something you get when you lift something too heavy. So if you maybe a country church or the pastor asks Bubba to take up the offering and five guys and two women stand up to come help. So, uh, you know, if you, uh, if you understand the New Testament, uh, Jesus was born in Galilee... And Galilee was considered a country town. It was considered a country place. And because of that, there were people who considered Christ unlearned and ignorant because of where he was born. In other words, they were from uh, uh, the city. They were sophisticated folks from uh, Jerusalem. And they said, oh, this Christ, he's from down there around Galilee. And those folks are just old country folks. And they're... Um, they're really ignorant and they're unlearned. That doesn't mean stupid. Ignorant means uninformed, you know. Uh, and that's how, how they felt about it. Now, as we look at our passage today, we're only a few weeks away from Christ's death. And uh, so, and he's headed towards the cross. Uh, the Jews are constantly looking what, for ways to embarrass him. And really the reason being is because of where he's from. And they were going to embarrass him. And they always looked for ways to uh, opportunities that they could embarrass him. And, and uh, as we approach the cross, opposition to what Christ is doing has been growing. And it's been growing. Last week, you know, we really talked about the whitewashed graves and all of those different things and what takes place there. So... Uh, it's growing stronger and stronger. So let's begin there in Luke chapter 14, verse 1. Now, we're going to look at all 24 verses, but, but we're not going to read them all because of time, and I'm not going to refer to all of them. So if you'd like to, you read Luke chapter 14, 1 through 24 while we're doing this. But starting in verse 1, one Sabbath when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. <coughs> 
There was in front of him a man suffering from the dropsy, and Jesus asked the experts of the law, uh, is it lawful to heal a man on the Sabbath or not? And uh, they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and went and sent him his way. And Jesus asked him, if one of you has an ox or a son or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull him out? And they had nothing to say. Now, so you've heard this, uh, the, the, the saying, if the ox is in the ditch, you know, people talk about working on Sunday. Well, that's where this comes from. And the Pharisees, remember, they're trying to trap him. So they say, can this man be healed on the day? So he answers there, um, is, it, is it lawful if you have a son or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath? Will you not immediately pull him out? They had nothing to say. So let's focus on the, the following parable. This is Jesus is talking. He's teaching this group. And uh, with that, he tells a parable. And in this parable, this is what he says. He says, when someone invites you to a wedding feast... Do you not take the place of honor for a person more distinguished, or you not save a place for a person more distinguished that you may that you may have been invi- invited that you may have invited? Boy, I don't. I'm having trouble reading this morning. Y'all are going to be in a mess before we're over. Uh, so, if the host who invited both of you come to you and say, "Give this man your seat," then humiliated, you will have to take a seat of least importance. But when you're invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say, friend, move up to a better place and you will be honored in the presence of your fellow guests. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be be exalted. So Jesus takes this opportunity. He takes a, a, a teachable moment, we would call them, and he starts talking about this wedding feast. Again, anytime Jesus is teaching, he's teaching something that, the, that would have been uh, normal for the times. The Pharisees would have understood about this wedding feast, about how guests would come. And basically he said, if you go into a, a wedding feast, and let's just say that uh, the family has a place of, of seating on the front two rows, and you come in and you're just a friend of the friend of the families of some way, and you come and sit on the honored role, well, uh, if the person that invited you came and said, well, this is reserved for family, well, you're going to have to move back. He said, but wouldn't that be humiliating? Wouldn't that be humiliating even to you? You know, if you, if you came, I, I've told you all this story, Denise and I, first Sunday we came to a, a church, and I was going to be youth minister at that church, and it's a local church, and it wasn't here. And uh, I said, well, we're going to join this Sunday morning church, and we're going to sit right up at the front. We sat down, and a lady came, and she tapped on me, and she said, you're in my seat. <laughs> and I said, well, let, let us move, for heaven's sakes. You know, so we got up and moved. She said, thank you. And we moved, and we joined that Sunday, and it was no big deal. But that could be humiliating, couldn't it? Especially for a Pharisee. So Jesus said, what you ought to do is come in and, and sit at the back, And then the person invited you can come say, hey, you're an honored guest. I want you to come and sit up at the front. He says, isn't that more honorable? Wouldn't you be exalted more than being asked to move from a place? But then he says there in verse 11, and this is kind of the whole principle of what we're talking about. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. That's, uh, That's one of the wonderful 
paradoxes that Jesus told that's contrary to what the world thinks. You know, the world talks about uh, pride, about uh, if we want to go up the ladder, if we're gonna if we're gonna be number one, then we're gonna we're gonna fight, we're gonna claw, we're gonna push, and we're gonna do everything we can to to reach the top. We're gonna do everything we can to uh, to get where we want to be. That's the, that's what the world says, but Jesus says just the opposite. Over in James chapter four, verse ten, Jesus says, "Humble yourself before the Lord, and He'll lift you up." So as we think about this and what we're really talking about this morning, we're going to talk about pride, we're going to talk about humbling ourselves, and we're going to talk about being lifted up. And this morning, uh, as we think about those things, we're going to talk about eating a piece of humble pie. Now that may be one of those things like uh, mashed potatoes or uh, Brussels sprouts or uh, green peas or liver, whatever you want to say, but uh, we're going to talk about that, and, and first we're going to look at the problem with pride. There's a, there's a problem with pride, and uh, this is this, pride is, is basically the, the word that says, I am the center of my universe. Now, stay with me this morning, because I think this is relevant for us. If you would say this morning, well, he's, he's already, uh, you're not even talking to me this morning, you better definitely hang on. But, but pride says, I am the center of my universe. And what Jesus did, he came into this meal. He sat down, and he began to watch the Pharisees jockey for position. Now, doesn't this sound a whole lot like last week when he went into the synagogue? And remember the seat across the front of the synagogue and how they got up and jockeyed for position? He preached. He told his story. And, and here he is just a few days later, and the same thing still happening. You know, I told you the story one time about the, the new preacher that came in town and, and he noticed that, that some of his parishioners were, uh, there was a logging town. They were going down to the river where they were floating the logs down. They were pulling the logs over. They were sawing the brand off of their neighbor. They were putting their brands on and sending them on down to the mill. So he got up and he preached, thou shalt not covet your neighbor's belongings. And next week he noticed they were still doing the same thing. So the, that week he, he said, well, they're sawing, still sawing them off, still uh, still uh, uh, putting their name on the, the end of the log. So he, he preached, Thou shalt not steal. And, and uh, he went back that week. He noticed they were still doing it. So the third week he preached, Thou shalt not cut the end off your neighbor's log and put your brand on it. And they asked him to leave. Well, that's what Christ has done. He, he's taught and he's preached and he's led the Pharisees. And he said, Here, Here's your position in Christ. And, and over and over, he's, he's, he's noticing that, that this hasn't changed as they jockey for, for position. You know, that still happens today. It's interesting that it happens even in our church, but, but in the Middle East, it still happens. As a matter of fact, in Asia, they sit at a circular table the most of the time, and the, 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 the person that's the, uh, the, the leader of the family, the head of the table, uh, he'll sit in a certain position, and the, the person with the most importance will sit on his right side. And the, the person that, that the next most important will sit on his left side, and, and it'll go all the way around the table that way. So when they come in and, and people are seated by, by the position that they're seated in, they'll understand, hey, I'm a guest, and, and here's where I fall in the hierarchy of things. And, and that's still taking place. And, and the Pharisees, they had a problem with pride. And the problem is this, it's all about me, it's all about me and mine and I, and, and it's all the focus becomes upon ourselves 
instead of Christ. So the thing with pride, one of the problems, it's hard to recognize in ourselves. Somebody said pride is the only disease that, that makes everyone around us sick, but the person that has it don't even know they've got it. And I, I think that's true. In the Catholic list of seven deadly sins, there was a painter, his name was, was Bosch, and I believe is, is how you pronounce that, and he, he painted the picture of seven deadly sins. And, and in the, the, that Catholic description, uh, the words vanity and pride are interchangeable. And so when he painted that, that picture of, of vanity or that picture of pride, he, he painted a woman looking at herself in a mirror and her face being held by the devil. I mean, that's how he, he used to describe that, that, that pride or that vanity. We, we usually can see that in others easily, but we really have trouble seeing it in our own lives. Some of you, if you remember this song, you can join in. You walked into the party like you were walking onto a yacht. Does anybody recognize it already? <laughs> You're so vain, but you think this song is about you. Uh, anyway, you, you uh, listen to the words. Okay, who sang it? Carly Simon. All right, you're right. Who was it about? Nobody knows because he never said. Warren Beatty, Mick Jagger, whoever, but here's the words. You walk into the party like you're walking onto a yacht. Your hat's strategically dripped over one eye and your scarf was apricot. You had one eye on the mirror as you watched yourself gavotte. Did I say that right? What that is is that's a French dance where the dancer prances around, kind of hops around. So if you didn't know what that word meant in that song, that's what it means. And all the girls, they dreamed that they would be your partner. And they'd be your partner, and you're so vain. You probably think this song's about you. You're so vain. I bet you think this song's about you, don't you? Don't you? That was Carly Simon's song, and, and uh, that, that ideal of you're so vain, even the song, you, it's all about you, and you probably even think I wrote this song about you. And, and like I said, she never really revealed who that song was about, but uh, she, was dating, uh, she was dating Warren Beatty during that time some, and he kind of wears his hat kicked to the side, and so that's kind of the ideal. But, but you know, that, that, that thinking about that thing, you, you, you're so vain, you may think this sermon's about you, don't you? Don't, I mean, don't you? Well, if you don't, it probably is. So uh, it's probably about me. So maybe you heard about fires. There were some bad fires in Colorado several years ago. And, and as they went to investigating these fires, they were on uh, King Mountain between Vail and Aspen. And they started investigating these fires. And, and the, they found out that there, there was coal underground, and this coal had been burning for more than 30 years below the surface of the ground. And finally, at some point, it, it reached the surface, and it caused this huge fire uh, there between Vail and Aspen. And, and that's the way pride does sometimes. It, it lives within us kind of below the surface. And, and maybe we don't even realize it's there. Maybe it, it's burning and, and we, really don't, we really don't pay much attention to it. But uh, all of a sudden, one day it hits the surface and it flares up. So I, I have this little PQ test, pride quota test, and, and you just in your mind check yes or no if these statements apply to you. I enjoy being the center of attention. Just think to yourself, yes or no. I think I deserve the very best. Much of my conversation is filled with I. 
Have y'all ever played that game? We've played it here at church where y'all get a paper clip and you say, okay, I want, we're just going to visit. I was going to do that this morning, actually, and I forgot. Uh, and anytime you say I, me, or my, you have to give your paper clip up. Man, I can't hold mine for two seconds, and somebody's like, yep, give it to me, you know, and, and you'll have one person, they'll have a string of paper clips this long, you know, strutting around there, and they'll say, look at my paper clip, you're like, give them to me, <laughs> you just said it, you know, and that's that fire that burns below the surface, and, and it's pretty interesting when we start thinking about ourselves how much I, me, and my fill our conversation. I seldom pass a mirror without looking at myself. I uh, am stubborn. I don't like to be corrected, or I don't like change. I get my feelings hurt easily. I'm impatient with other people's mistakes. Thank goodness I'm not there. I don't get enough appreciation. Denise is not in there. She'd have crowed right there, you know. Uh, I don't get enough appreciation for all the things I do. I'm offended if I render a service and don't receive a thank you. I seldom ask for help because I can do a better job by myself. If you can't say amen, say ouch. Uh, And here's the last one. I feel pretty good that I didn't have a single yes. (laughs) If you would say uh, I don't have any yeses, if you have one or more, then there's uh, there's some pride in your life. And uh, if you say, I didn't answer any yes, that simply tells you that you're lying to yourself about pride in your life because we all have it. It's a whole lot easier to see in other people than it is to see in ourselves. So uh, that's, the, that's the thing about pride. It's hard to recognize. Here's the second thing. It leads to ruin. The Bible says in Proverbs sixteen eighteen, why would I be preaching on pride? What's that have to do? You're, you've, you've gone from preaching God's word to meddling in somebody else's life. No, this is God's word. And there's a reason he chose to cover it many, many times. So there's got to be a purpose for it. Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride comes before destruction and a haughty spirit comes before a, before a fall. What Jesus was saying is the best way to guarantee that you're going to fail The best way you guarantee that you're going to fall is to let pride take over. He says pride, it it comes before, uh, pride goes before destruction and and a haughty spirit comes just before you fall. I heard a story about a frog. He wanted to go south for the winter and he realized it was much too far to hop. So he began to think about it and he he said, I've got a plan. He got two birds that were friends of his and he he said, I want want you to take this stick in your mouth or your beak and you take a a stick in your beak and I'm going to take the the stick in my mouth and we're going to fly south and y'all are just going to fly me down south. And they said, hey, that's a good idea. We'll do that. So they were flying along and he was cruising along and they went over two old farmers out there and Farmer said, look up there at that, those two birds and that frog. That, that's a great idea. Said, I wonder, I wonder which one of them birds come up with that idea. And, and the frog couldn't stand it. He, he said, ah, ah, as he fell to the ground because he couldn't stand the idea of somebody else getting some credit. See, that pride came before destruction. The, the moral of the story is if somebody else is getting some credit and maybe you had an idea, just keep your mouth shut. It's okay. I mean, that that pride comes before the fall. 
I think the greatest warning we have in the Bible of that, of that example of what uh, Christ is saying in Proverbs 16, 18, goes back to the devil himself, Lucifer. He was one of the most beautiful angels that, that was created. He was in the garden. He was there at Christ's side, but he rebelled against the Most High. Now listen in Isaiah 14, what Lucifer said about himself. Christ is speaking of him. First says, You have fallen from heaven, O bright and morning star, the sun of dawn. You've been cast down to earth where once you laid low the nations because, listen, you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above God and the stars. I will sit in throne in the mountain of the assembly. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds and I'll make myself like the most high. But you have been brought down to the ground into the depths of the pit. That's, that's Satan being described by, by God through the prophet there that, that Satan said, you know what? I, pride all about me. I, I'm going to go and, and I'm going to do this and I'm going to sit there and I'm going to be exalted and I'm going to taste God's place and I'm going to move on up. And we go back to Proverbs and pride comes before destruction and a haughty spirit comes before the fall and, and he, he was cast out. He was cast out of heaven and, and the Garden of Eden, as he was there in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve was there. What did he say to Adam and Eve? He said, if you'll only eat of this fruit, you can be like God. If you could only eat of this fruit, you'll have wisdom that God has. And you can be your own God. And why was that appealing? Because it was appealing for pride because I can be like God and I can be my own God and I can do these things and, and destruction comes before, pride comes before destruction and the haughty spirit before the fall. You remember Muhammad Ali? What did he say? I'm the greatest. What float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. Said he got on an airplane one time and the stewardess says, Mr. Ali, you need to buckle up. And he said, Superman don't need no seat buckle. And she said, Well, Superman don't need no jet either. You gotta buckle up. So uh, the the man that claimed to be the greatest that ever was, the man that said, I am the greatest. How did his life end? His life ended with uh, as a humble man, no choice of his own. But he ended up as a humble man. Pride is dangerous. Now let's talk about the honor of humility, the, the honor of humility. And we need to eat a few slices of a humble pie here. Y'all know where humble pie came from? I thought it's kind of interesting. It came from back in the medieval times. And, and the noble people in medieval times, when they would kill a deer, they would eat the choice meats, whatever, whatever we would eat. I worked with a guy that uh, we were good friends. He was a black guy, and uh, he said, hey, bring me some deer meat next time you go hunting. And I said, okay. Now, I don't eat ribs, the deer ribs, because it's like eating a piece of, <laughs> it's just horrible. Uh, I can't explain it. We cooked them one time, and it was, they're just fat. But anyway, I said, uh, I said, Troy, do you want the ribs and do you want that kind of stuff? Or do you just, you know, do you just want backstrap? You just, do you eat the show? He goes, I don't eat anything you don't eat. <laughs> so I said, I got you. I'm with you. <laughs> so, but back in this time, the noble people ate the good cuts of the meat. But everything left over, like the heart and the liver and the intestines and all that, 
they were made into umble pie, U-M-B-L-E. And, and the word umble meant those parts of the deer. That's what was left over. So you clean the deer, you take the muscle out of the deer, you've left with umble. That's what it means. That's what it meant during those times. Well, eating umble pie, if you came to somebody's house and they served you humble pie, it was humiliating because you really recognized that, hey, they're serving me the very worst, worst portions of the meat here. Uh, they're, they're serving me all the leftovers. So through time, it became humbled pie. Now, over in the, the Middle East, I mean, uh, in, in part, parts of England, it's still referred to as humble pie. So if you hear that term, humble pie, we call it humble pie, and uh, however you want to call it. But, but that kind of makes sense, doesn't it? That, that humble pie, and that may make sense why it doesn't sound that appetizing for us when we say today we're going to have to eat a little humble pie or a little humble pie. But, you know, there's, uh, you don't find a lot of people questioning, how can I be more humble? You know, if you go to Barnes & Noble or you go to uh, some other bookstore and you say, uh, hey, I'm looking for some books on uh, how to be more humble, what are they going to do? They're going to say, well, you nut. What? <laughs> we don't sell anything like that. Who would buy that after all? Who would take time to, to write that? Because that's not where we want to be. We, we don't want to be humble. We, we want to be those that, that, that move forward quicker. Yet the Bible says in Proverbs 29, 23, a man's pride will bring him low, but the humble in spirit retains honor. So I want to share about three characteristics, and I've got about 10 minutes left, and we'll be through three characteristics of, uh, uh, that help us better understand humility. True humility, don't miss this is seeing myself as God sees me. Now, here's our problem. I think a lot of times when we talk about humility, we think about being low in spirit. We think about being uh, having a poor self-image. We think about like being a worthless wimp, so to speak. I think when we say humility, that's why it's, that's why it's unattractive to us. Hey, I, I don't want people to think I have a poor image of myself, and, and I don't want people to, to think I'm just a wimp out here. I, I've got to show them, but, but, but having an honest evaluation of who we are as the Bible describes us, as Christ describes us, that really helps us to understand what it means to be humble. In other words, when we understand that, that who I am is I'm a sinner, that I deserve death. I mean, that's what the Bible says. That's what I deserved. And yet, uh, even though I deserved death, even though I deserved hell, God came and, and he gave me the ability to become a child of God. He gave me the ability to become part of his family. And, and uh, so I, I find that, that ideal of being a part of God's family. And, and I'm humble in the fact that I realize what I am. But I realize who I am in Christ. The Bible says in Christ we're more than conquerors. The Bible says in Christ all of these things we've been reading this morning that if, if we're humble in Christ, we're going to be made high. We're going to be lifted up. So Satan would say, well, you're, you're reading this and you don't want to be humble and you'll never get anywhere in life and people will run over you and step over you and people will make fun of you. You don't want to do that. But Christ says just the opposite. Recognize who we are in Christ. And, and Paul understood that. Remember when Paul said, man, I, I do the things I don't want to do and I, the things I do want to do, I fail to do and I sin and I, I don't want to sin and all of these things. And my Paul understood he began to see himself as Christ in himself. 
himself. And we find that he wrote this, I know that nothing good lives in me. That's Romans 7, 18. Paul said that, I realize nothing good lives in me. Then he turned around in the very next chapter and said, those that are led by the Spirit of God become children of God. Was he contradicting himself? No, not at all. He understood the balance between being humble and recognizing himself as who Christ is, who's what Christ has done, and who he is without Christ. Look, at, he says in John 15, 15, 5, Christ says, Without me, you can do nothing. But over in Philippians 4, 13, Paul says, Through Christ, I can do all things who loves me and gives me strength. See, that, that difference there of really recognizing of who we are in Christ. We're going to talk here in a, a couple of weeks. We'll be Resurrection Sunday, and we, we think about that donkey that was led that Christ set on as he went into the town, and there was palm leaves waving, and people were laying out a, a road for him to come into town, and there was worship. I read this story. The, jo- the donkey was over, overjoyed at being cho- chosen. He held his head high as he entered the city. He drank in the songs of praise and enjoyed the walk on the palm branches underneath his feet. He relished the attention and offered the direction toward them. A week later, the little donkey, he wanted to enjoy it again, so he pranced out to re-enter his steps. But this time, the people didn't pay him any attention. He said, where are all the palm branches? Don't you know who I am? The people heard him and threw rocks at him instead. And the donkey neared the city of Jerusalem. They said, he said, where are the songs of praise for me? Here I am on the same streets. Don't you remember me inside the city? But no one paid him attention. They just shooed him away to their stalls along the street. The little donkey went home dejected and humiliated. And when his mother said him, saw him, she said, You foolish child, don't you understand that without Christ, you're nothing? And that's that picture of recognizing who we are in Christ. It's not I, me, my, all about me. It's, it's all about Christ when we become born again. A.W. Tozer, he was a, a great Christian writer. Listen to this. He says, A humble man is not a human mouse afflicted with a sense of his own inferiority. He has accepted God's estimate of his own life. He knows he is weak and helpless as God has declared him to do, but paradoxically, he knows at the same time, in the sight of God, he is of more importance than the angels themselves. In himself, nothing, but in God, everything. That's why it's important to be humble because we recognize who we are in God. And in self, we're nothing. We're like that little donkey going back and saying, hey, where's all this praise? But in God, we're everything. Here's the second thing. True humility is revealed by how I treat others. Y'all, y'all probably heard that, that old saying, joy. Uh, matter of fact, First Baptist Church, uh, Cooper had uh, a group they called Joyful singers. Joyful singers. When I was youth minister up there, Jesus, others, and yourself. Jesus first, others second, yourself third. That that ideal of joy. And and we find that in in we we our true humility is, is revealed in how we treat others. Jesus first, others second, ourself third. 
Philippians 2, 3 through 6 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Your attitude should be that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking on the very form of a servant. The rest of that passage talks about how Jesus humbled himself. And and the night before he was crucified, remember what Jesus did? The night before he was crucified, he went to a a meal there with his his disciples, and and none of them stood up and did the servant's job, the slave job of washing feet. And and Jesus himself, he he took a rag and a water basin, and he placed a rag on his arm, and he took the water basin, and he went, and he began to wash the feet of the disciples. This is Christ. This is God himself. And he washed the dirty, dusty, stinky feet of the disciples. And then he said, do what I did. Go and do likewise. That I didn't come to serve, but I, I, came to, I didn't come to be served, but I came to be the servant. And because of that, the Bible says, therefore God exalted him, lifted him up, Jesus, and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue that confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. As Christ became humble, the Bible says God lifted him up and gave him a name above every name. True humility, this is the last thing, it's... it's it's refined through adversity. We started out with that ideal that, that uh, God doesn't send adversity our way, but he uses it. He uses it to, to make us who we are. So sometimes if we're getting a little bit proud, maybe he allows some kind of humbling experience to come that, that we, would be, we would be brought back to that point of humility. Everyone who exhausts himself, the Bible says, will be humbled. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 says, 12, 7 says, To keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing great revelations, there was given to me a thorn in my flesh. That was Paul. You know, the Bible says that Paul was lifted up to the third heaven, and he saw things, and he heard things that he couldn't even speak of. And this is what Paul's saying. In order to keep me from being conceited, Instead of being surpassingly, uh, because of these great revelations, there was given to me a thorn in my flesh. Now, what does that mean? Did he step on a thorn? No, that, 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 that idea was most people think he's, he began to lose his eyesight. And, and he lost, was losing his eyesight. And he says, to keep me from being conceited. I want to close with this. Y'all probably never heard of this guy. His name's Jim Henry. He's the First Baptist pastor of uh, First Baptist Church Orlando. He tells a story about he went back to his uh, hometown, was invited to Georgetown College in Kentucky to receive an outstanding award for being an outstanding alumna. He said he was sitting on the stage just outside as part of the graduation experience. He said, I was dressed in my finest black suit, and just before I was called to receive this award, this prestigious award to be presented before that graduating class, Uh, He said, I began to think about how important I had become. He said, I was remembering that when I came to college, nobody here even knew me. I washed dishes in the cafeteria so I could pay my way. I couldn't get involved in many activities because of that, but look at me now. They all know who I am today. He said, I was feeling really good about myself, and just that moment, splat, a bird flew over and covered me with droppings 
on my shoulder on my nice black suit. He says, I was horrified for a moment. He said, then I began to laugh and I realized that, hey, I was full of pride to this very day. And I thank God sent this bird to bring me a little humility. <laughs> well, I think that's true. You know, sometimes God has to send the bird our way that he might bring us just a little bit humility that we might be humble, that he might lift us up. Listen to this. When trouble comes, some people raise their face to heaven and become bitter. Others bow their knees before God and becomes better. Father, Lord, as we think about your word today, as we think about uh, who we are in you, Father, I pray that, Lord, we would, we would know what it means to be humble, not for ourselves, but, Father, that we would know your promises that when we humble ourselves before you, that we are lifted up. Uh, Father, when we're made low, that, that we are exalted in you. Father, I pray that we would uh, not allow Satan to, to steal the truth of saying, well, we've got to be weak and meek and uh, footstools for others if, if we're humble. But, Father, we would know that in you, uh, we're more important even than the angels. But, Father, aside from you, uh, the best we have is filthy rags. Lord, I pray this week that your word would be true. I pray that we would uh, reveal who we are through the joy we have for others, that you would be first, that our service to others would be second, and then, Father, we'd follow up in third. Lord, thank you for this day, Lord. Thank you for this time together in Jesus' name.